Hello, hello, hello. Welcome, everybody, to the Upside Down World podcast. I am your host, Ricky Carlson. Thank you so much for tuning in today, making us a part of your day. I'm honored for you to be here and to be listening. Uh, and I'm honored to have Pastor Sulian here with us from Hopewell Baptist Church in Colorado. His yeah. work is an encouragement to me. I'm excited to have him here today, and I want to kind of give him the ball here in a minute. But before I do, I encourage you to click a like on this podcast, subscribe. And if anything that we talk about here today is an encouragement to you or you feel like you've gained something from it, I encourage you to share it with someone else who might be able to use the same thing. And I'll tell you this, this conversation here today, I when I was thinking about people that I wanted to have on the second season of the podcast, Brother Sulian was one of the first ones that came to my mind. Um, and I'm honored to have him here. I'm thankful that he made time out of his busy schedule to be here today. And so, Pastor Sulian, if you would, just uh, give us a little bit about yourself, about your ministry, um, and we'll kind of take it from there. All righty. So thank you again for allowing me to be on here. What a blessing. I've enjoyed our friendship over the last couple of years that we've been able to um, have friends from a distance, I guess you call it, through Facebook and talking on the phone and things like that. So thank you, Brother Ricky. I appreciate you very much. Um, the Lord uh, called me to pastor a church, but I... Uh, started my church in September of 1994. And this month, we just celebrated our 29th year. And so I am the senior pastor of Hopewell Baptist Church in Longmont, Colorado. Uh, my wife and I moved here 29 years ago to start a church for the Lord. When I came here, I asked God if it would be all right with him if he would let me pastor this church for 50 years. And so, so far, um, I'm 29 years in, got 21 years to go. I kind of kid with our church folks that when that 50th year comes around, I think I'm going to renegotiate with the Lord maybe another 10 years, but I'll be 75 if I do pastor this church for 50 years. I started it when I was 25 and I'm 54 now. So um, we love the Lord. We love the opportunity to minister in his kingdom, to serve people and Especially, you know, I love the opportunity to lead people to Christ. And that's really my heartbeat and what I really want to do in life. Amen. Well, Pastor, I, I think it's very apt that we start off uh, this conversation with um, obviously an avid soul winner. And so I'd like to just kind of ask you, um, what is, cause I, I don't believe I've ever even, I've even ever heard your, your testimony. I could okay. be wrong, but uh, what is your testimony? How did you get saved? Well, so my grandparents, Jack and Beverly Bosmer, in my family, they were the first converts, the first people to get saved um, in, in my, my mom and my dad's you know, family, you know, from them. And um, my mom was already an adult. She had moved out of the house and um, thought that mom and dad, my grandma and grandpa were kind of in a cult or just kind of crazy. My mom didn't grow up in church. I think, I don't remember the exact age, but I thought my mom was about 21, 22, 23 years of age, something like that. And um, my, my grandma and grandpa got saved. And so, or maybe she was like 20, something like that. And so at any rate, um, my mom moved away. From, uh, I was born in Anderson, Indiana. And that's where my grandparents lived most of their life, uh, all the life that I knew them. And um, I, my mom moved to Colorado for three years and then moved out to California. And I grew up in California from age eight to age 18. And so I graduated from Napa High. But while I was out there, my mom would let me go visit my grandparents on summer vacation. 
And in 1980, um, the very first week after school got out, school got out in California back in 1980, like the first week of June. I know that uh, now school usually gets out the middle or third week of May, but school went into the first week of June. And I remember flying out and uh, being with my grandparents. So my grandparents were avid Christians. I mean, they were bus captains. My grandpa was a deacon. When they got saved, I mean, they got all of it. I mean, they didn't just get a home in heaven. I mean, their whole lives transformed and they became dedicated followers of Christ and members of Grace Baptist Church of Anderson, Indiana for the whole time they were alive after they got saved. So it was well over, well over 40 years. Now, both my grandparents are in heaven right now. They passed away several years ago. But at any rate, I remember going with them. Um, when I was 10 years old, just uh, three weeks away from my 11th birthday, it was June 15, 1980. And I uh, obviously, as I always did when I saw them, they would take me on the bus route. I would uh, ride the bus. I loved the bus route. I loved singing the, the bus songs and everything. And um, they would take us to church. Now, I was a really, really, really shy kid. I mean, I'm an introvert by nature. I'm shy. I'm I'm not very self-confident. And so I was one of those kids that whenever I would go to church with my grandparents, I just wanted to sit with them in church. I never wanted to go to junior church. I never wanted to be away from them. You see, I wasn't raised in church. My mom, since she moved out of the house and my grandparents got saved after she moved out, she never raised me in church. In fact, up until that point, I don't remember my mom ever taking me to church. Um, I only remember going to church with my grandparents. Now, my mom may have taken me. I don't know. But, you know, she didn't in California and she didn't in Colorado. And so, but any rate, on that day, I was sitting in the pews and uh, Grace Baptist Church was pastored by a man named Don Camp at the time. And he was preaching the gospel. And I was sitting in the pews while he was preaching. And the Holy Spirit of God just convicted me. I mean, just convicted me about, I need to get saved. Well, when I was five years old, I had visited my grandparents and they went to church or took me to church. And I remember that I was sitting in church and the preacher was saying, how many of you would like to know how to go to heaven one day? And I looked at my grandma and she said, well, raise your hand. So I raised my hand. And then he said, if you'd like to find out how to be saved, come down the aisle. I looked at my grandma and she said, go. And I said, okay. And I walked down the aisle. The next thing I remember, I'm getting baptized now, which is not a bad thing, not a bad thing, but I don't remember the verses. I don't remember the prayer. I don't remember anything between walking down the aisle and getting baptized. So here I am sitting in the same church in the same pews with my grandparents. Now I'm 10 years of age and I'm under intense conviction of the Holy Ghost. I need to get saved. I need to get saved. And so I'm having a conversation with God in the pew while the preacher's preaching. I'm saying, Lord, I'm already saved. He said, you are? I said, yes. He said, when did you get saved? I said, at age five. He said, what did you do? And I told him, I raised my hand during the invitation. He said, and what else? And I said, I walked down the aisle. And he said, and what else? And I said, I don't remember. I just remember getting baptized in there. And he said, well, does baptism save you? And I said, he said, well, are you sure you're saved? And I said, I think I am. And the Holy Spirit said, do you want to live your life thinking you're saved or do you want to know you're saved? And I said, well, I guess I'd like to know I'm saved. And then he said, well, then you need to get saved today. So the invitation came. Now, remember, I'm a real shy 
boy, I'm an introvert. I'm not overly confident. I mean, I just like, I just want to be with my grandparents. So the church service that day uh, was about 500 people. And so the pastor, you know, heads bowed, eyes closed. How many of you are today? And you don't know for sure that you're saved. You'd like to be saved. And so I raised my hand and he goes, I see that hand. I went, oh, he saw me, you know. And he said, now, if you'd like to be saved, come down the aisle and we'll show you how to be saved. Well, I, was so, I was so nervous. I put my hand on the pew in front of me when we stood up and I just held on as tightly as I could. And I just said, I'm not doing this. I'm not going to walk down that aisle. I'm too embarrassed, you know. Well, all of a sudden I loosed my, my grip on that pew and I just started walking down toward the aisle. And I walked down the aisle and there was Don Camp at the very center of the aisle, right below the pulpit. And he can see me coming down toward him. So I'm walking down, walking down, walking down, and I get real close to him. <laughs> and I turned around and I looked at the audience and every single eye was looking at me. I was the only one out of 500 that walked the aisle that day. I was the, and that made me even more nervous. You know, I'm, actually, I'm thinking <laughs> to myself, they're supposed to have their heads bowed and their eyes closed. What are they doing looking at me? You know? So I walked down the front and Dr. Camp said, what can I do for you, son? And shook my hand. I said, I'd like to be saved. And the youth pastor at the time was named Gary Lovins. Now he's a pastor, I think Terre Haute, uh, or no, Fort Wayne, Indiana. He pastors a church in Fort Wayne. But then he was a youth pastor and Brother Camp said, Gary, come over here. He said, yes. He said, this young man would like to be saved. Would you show him how? And he said, sure. And so he took me off to the side. Now, that church did it a little bit different than um, what I do. I usually win people to Christ at the altar, but they took me to another room uh, where there was nobody at. And then uh, my aunt Jacqueline decided to walk down the aisle with me and to be with me when I got saved. And that really, that really made me feel at ease, you know, comforted there. So Brother Gary Lovins read the Romans Road. I remember it clearly. He read all of sin and come short of the glory of God. He read the wages of sin is death. He said, you know, the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Um, for whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. I remember very clearly the whole plan of salvation. And I got tears running down my, my cheeks now. And uh, he asked me, he said, do you believe in Jesus that he died on the cross to pay for your sins? And I said, yes. And he said, would you like to pray and ask Jesus to save you? And I said, yes, I would. I don't remember the exact words that I, I said, but I remember asking Jesus to save me. When I got done with the prayer, man, I felt the weight of my sins just lifted off of my shoulders. I felt such peace inside of my heart. And now all those tears, you know, I mean, it was just like, I just had this big smile on my face and I felt so relieved. And, and I just knew that I knew that I knew that I would go to heaven. And that's basically 10 years of age, three weeks from my 11th birthday at my grandparents' church in Anderson, Indiana, Grace Baptist Church. That's when I got saved. Amen. Wow, that's a that's a pretty powerful testimony. I mean, to to think you were, uh, you were where you were, and in that situation, and I, I think it's funny too when you when you say you know everybody's supposed to have their heads bowed. <laughs> <laughs> they don't do that. They never do that. Oh, <laughs> the people who have the people who've been through a lot of those services, they're always their eyes are open. Like, oh, who's gonna? <laughs> who's I know. Gonna go <laughs> oh, that's funny. Well, that's awesome. And and so obviously between that time. And where you are today, I mean, what happens in the Christian life is you just, you continue to grow. You continue to, you know, 
learn and sharpen yourself. And a lot of times we fall short, but we keep trying. But another thing I'm I'm interested to hear that I, I don't know if I've I've heard before. I know where you went to college, but what was it for you? When did you know that you wanted to be in the ministry? All right. So that's an interesting story. So um, here's what happened. I got saved and I was so excited. And I came home and my mom was not saved yet. And so I came home and she didn't take me to church. So two years passed. Now I'm 12. My mom, um, her aunt died in, um, in Indiana and there was a funeral. So my mom went home for the funeral and um, everybody in the church, everybody in the church, everybody in, in my mom's family had been praying for years for my mom to get saved. And so during the uh, funeral service of her aunt, um, the gospel was preached. My mom walked the aisle and she made a profession of faith in Christ. Now, it was a little bit different. The way she explained it to me was she walked down the aisle and about 30 or 40 people walked with her. And here she is getting saved and it's like this massive humanity huddled around her while she's getting saved. And it kind of intimidated her, it kind of freaked her out a little bit. So she made a profession of faith. And then she said to her mom, she, my grandma, she goes, what do I do now? She says, well, you go back to Napa, California, open up the yellow pages. Back then we had yellow pages, phone book, you know. She said, open up the yellow pages and look for an independent fundamental Baptist church and just go visit and see if you can find a church to go to. So she opened up the yellow pages and she saw Hopewell Baptist Church of Napa, California. And so she said, all right, I'll go. And then we started going. Now, she didn't get saved until three years later. She was under conviction too, like I was the second time. But she explained to me that she really, it was just not, she didn't get saved when she was in 1982. So, but she did in 1985. But what my mom did though was, you know, my mom is one of those people that, you know, like, like my grandparents, she would give herself all the way to something. So she started going to church. And when she did, she would go Sunday school, Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night, revival meetings, you know, church occasions, activities, whatever, work days. I mean, it didn't matter. And she looked at me and said, son, whenever I go, you're going with me. Well, now I'm, I'm 12. I'm a preteen and I don't want to go to church. And I love football. I'm a huge Denver Bronco fan. And I'd rather stay home on Sunday morning and watch football than go to church. Now, you understand, I was saved at age 10 and my heart was just on fire for God. I came home and no church for two years. So I didn't grow in the Lord, but now I'm a preteen, 12 years of age. And so I'm like, I'm sitting in church like this, you know? And so what my mom used to do was she would let me sit with the other teenagers, right? So there's this one service that the teenagers and I are sitting in the back pew and the preacher's preaching and we're all cutting up, talking a little bit, you know, and I wasn't really the one that was doing most of the talking, but, but I was there with them, right? And so my pastor at the time was named Jim Guzman. And he's preaching the sermon. And right in the middle of the sermon, he says, you, you parents that let your children, teenagers sit in the back pew, don't let them do that anymore. They're just sitting back there talking, not listening to me while I'm preaching. Now, my mom, when she started going to church, she sat on the second row. I mean, the second row. And here I am sitting in the back. And when my when that pastor, my pastor said that, here's what my mom did. Okay. She's sitting in the in the second row, and she went like this. 
and she made <laughs> eye contact with me. And when she made eye contact with me, I went <laughs> just like that. Because I knew sitting with the other teenagers in the back row, my days were over. And the pastor said, your teenager needs to sit with you or sit in front of you so you can keep an eye out. So mm -hmm. here's my mom. You think about this. You walk into the center aisle. There are two sections of pews. She sat on the second row all the way over to the left. And so I told she goes, you can sit with me or in front of me so I can see you. So I went all the way over to the other side of the auditorium on the second row. I sat by myself for years. <laughs> I was not going to sit with my mom. I was so mad. <laughs> and wouldn't you know it? My mom was the only parent that listened to what the pastor said and made their children sit in front of them. All the other parents after that service continued to let their, their teenagers sit in the back, but not me. So seventh grade, eighth grade, 12 years of age, 13, 14, 15, 16, five years. I was just sitting there basically like this. My mom would not let me misbehave. I mean, she, you know, I had the fear of mama growing up. She said things like, boy, I brought you into this world. I can bring you out of this world too, <laughs> you know? And so, but at any rate, I, I wasn't disrespectful to the preacher. My heart wasn't in it. I, you know, I just simply paid attention, but five solid years of hearing the word of God, Sunday school, Sunday morning, Sunday night, and Wednesday night, you know, the Lord started working on my heart at age 16. God called me to preach. I remember the, the I remember it like it was yesterday. I, I hope I'm not taking too much time. I hope I'm not, but no, I, I just want to give you all the details about yeah, it. Okay. Please. So at age 16, I, I made a mistake and I got a car on my 16th birthday. And I thought, I've got freedom. I can do whatever I want. My mom is never going to tell me what to do in my car. And so, you know, for several months now, I, I, I developed a rebellious spirit toward my mom. And I, I, I was able to have my rebellion in my car. And wherever I would go. And I started doing things that teenagers do sometimes that are wrong and worldly and carnal and sinful, you know. And there I got that we're so dumb. Teenagers are so dumb. I, I, I got the idea of my friend who's 16 as well. We're both juniors in high school. I went to my friend. I said, Man, I got a car. I said, Listen, you ask your mom if you can spend the night at my house, and I'll ask my mom if I can spend the night at your house, and then we'll just go out on the street all night. And we thought, man, this will be great. We're so smart. So I asked my mom. She said, sure. My friend asked his mom. She said, sure. So I, I left my house and went to pick up, you know, you know, my friend. And we took off. And we went and we lived in Napa. So we went to San Francisco. We went to Oakland all night long. And I ain't going to tell you what we did, but we, we did bad things. But all night long, right? And we thought everything was fine. We got our parents fooled. This is awesome. Well, I didn't stop and think that my mom knew what a telephone was. And this is before the days of cell phones. This is 1986, all right? And so she decided to call my friend's house and say, hey, friend's mom, I forget her first name, but she said, I need to talk to Corey for a second and ask him a question. Can you get him for me? And she said, well, isn't he at your house where my son is? And then they, of course, it dawned on him. Ah, so my stepdad spent all night long looking for us, but he only looked in Napa. He had no idea we drove to San Francisco. So anyway, I came back the next day. It's now, you know, seven o'clock in the morning, whatever it is, when I got home. And 
Oh, my soul, man. Oh, my soul. I was in trouble. My mom had gotten with our pastor and she was going to take me to a boys camp, a boys, you know, school or home and send me away to save me from the world and all this stuff. I mean, she was like, and the only reason I didn't go to a boys home is because you understand, I had never rebelled against my mom, never until this, this point in my life when I was 16. So anyway, my stepdad talked her out of it. I, I am appreciative of that. So I came home and I was grounded for two weeks is what she said. Um, you'll, you'll never, you won't be able to go out to play. You won't, uh, you won't, uh, you know, you'll go to school, go to work, go to church and then stay home. And that's it. No TV, no music, no going off in your car. I mean, all my privileges were taken away. I tried to run away from home during those two weeks. I uh, went to San Francisco. I, I acted like I was going to school and I called my dad who lived in Colorado. I said, dad, I got to leave. Would you give me a plane ticket home and, uh, to Colorado? He said, sure, son, because my mom had full custody of me. So I, I talked my way into a, a bus that, that was a transportation service to the San Francisco airport. I just lied to him. I can't believe it even worked. I went to this airport shuttle service in Napa. I said, my, my mom and dad, they, 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 you know, went to Colorado and, and I, they didn't leave me any money to, to, to get a bus, but I got a ticket for an airplane, you know, and would you let me ride the, the bus to the airport so I can go get it? And they said, okay. I mean, I, I have no money, you know? So I get on this bus and I get down there. And when I got there, the police were there and they were waiting for me. And what had happened was my dad had a second, had change of heart and called my mom and said, Hey, your son's our son is going to the San Francisco airport to fly here. And I just wanted you to know. So that way we didn't get in trouble, you know, because my dad didn't have any guardian rights. My mom had all of them. And so the police, you know, it's funny, the police, you know, took me to my stepdad. Now my stepdad had driven all the way to San Francisco. Right. And so while the police were taking me to my stepdad, they looked at me and they said, now, you know, you don't have to stay with us. If you want to, you can leave. And I thought, oh, okay, I can leave, right? But then I thought, where would I go? My dad won't let me come live with him. And I don't want to live on the street. I got nowhere else to go. So I guess I'll go home. I think it's amazing that in the state of California back in 1986, they literally said to a runaway teenager, now you don't have to stay with us. You can leave. You don't have to go with us. But anyway, my, my dad, my stepdad was mad at me again, took me home. So anyway, the point is, during that time, I decided, I guess I got no other choice. I got a year and a half to go at home before I graduate. And I remember laying on my bed at night, and God came and met with me. And he said, he said, you like how your life's turning out? I said, not really. He said, if you don't turn around and stop living like this, when you become an adult, you won't be grounded to your room. You'll be in jail. Is that what you want? And I said, no. He said, well, what do you think you ought to do in life? I said, well, I'd love to play football. You know, I really, really, really love football. I was going to have a career in sports. You know, if I couldn't play sports, I'd be a sports photographer, sports writer, sports announcer, whatever. Someone told me years ago I had a great face for radio. I, I mean, voice for radio. But at any rate, I, um, I was going to do that with my life. And he said, well, God said to me, is hell real? And I said, well, yeah. He said, well, what do you think you ought to do in life if hell's real? I said, I don't know, but I want to play sports or 
have a career in sports. And God said to me again, he said, is hell real? And I'm like, well, yeah. And then I felt God saying, so what do you think you ought to do with your life? And I started imagining my, my, my dad, my family members, my friends just burning in hell forever. And it really got a hold of my heart. It made me sad. And I said, all right, God, I said, you know, I'm grounded. I can't do anything. And God showed up in my bedroom. So I'm just having a conversation with God. I'm like, okay, God, hell's real. I, I, I understand the severity of it. I said, what are you trying to say to me? And then he was silent. And I said, you don't want me to preach, do you? And he was silent. And I said, God, come on. I said, do you know who I am? I said, you know where I'm an introvert. I'm insecure. I, I'm shy. I don't like people looking at me. I can't even speak in, in a public setting. I get so nervous. I, you know, I, I, I don't do book reports in, in school. I, I, I can't have anybody looking at me and speak. I just, I can't. And God just kept, I want you to be a preacher. Hell's real. For a solid year, I told God, no, I said, not doing it. And I continued to be rebellious as much as I could. I still had the fear of mom. I didn't have the fear of God, but I had the fear of mom. And so I was rebellious in my heart. I tried to sneak around to do some things, but nothing like I did before. And I remember when I turned 17 on my, in my senior year of high school, God met with me again, as clear as I'm talking to you right now. And God said to me, he said, son, I want you to preach. And here's what he said to me. He said, if you want to live to see your 18th birthday, you better surrender to preach. And I looked at God and I said, man, you're serious about this, aren't you? And God said, I am very serious about this. So with the option of dying before I turned 18 or becoming a preacher, I said, okay, God, I said, I'll be a preacher under one condition, just one. And God said, what is that? And I said, you have to go with me. I said, I cannot be a preacher without you. I said, God, you know, I cannot speak in front of people. I can't do it. But if you go with me, I can. And so God said, I will. I'll go with you. So from that day forward, um, my heart was set. I'm going to be a preacher. And I told the church, it's funny. I told my pastor, I said, uh, I said, God, you know, during the Sunday morning sermon, I, I walked the aisle. This is now like uh, May or so, something like that, maybe April of uh, 1987. And uh, I'm 17 years of age. And I walked the aisle and I said, I said, God wants me to be a preacher. Actually, it was the beginning of, it was the beginning of June, 1987. I said, God wants me to be a preacher. And my pastor, who now was Mike Ray, who I'm very close with now, he's a good preacher. He, he's my Paul the Apostle in the ministry, right? But I, I said, God wants me to be, to be a preacher. And he looked at me and he goes, are you sure? <laughs> and I said, no, I was a moment ago. <laughs> That's what I was. So he gave me a book that he wrote called Call to Preach. And he said, I want you to take this book home and I want you to read the first chapter. Come back next week and tell me what you think. So I went home and I read the whole book. And I came back next Sunday and I said, all right, God wants me to preach. And he said, okay, you need to make it public. 
And I still remember this day. It was, it was June 14, Sunday, June 14, 1987. And I, and I walked down the aisle Sunday morning and I, you know, fell out of the decision slip and Pastor Ray stood at the pulpit and he said, one of our teenagers has come to church and saying that God has called him to preach and he's surrendering to the ministry, Corey Suleiman. And not one person clapped. Not one person said, amen. It was silent. I'm telling you, man, if you- Why do you think that was? Group, if you looked at our youth group, who of our youth group would be a preacher? I was probably going to be the last one pick. You know how you get a pickup game of basketball and you get two captains and pick this guy, this guy, this guy. <laughs> I would have been the last one pick. I guess <laughs> I'll take Corey to be a preacher, you know? And that's kind of how it was. But then I went off to Bible college that summer, off and running. But the reason- the reason I surrendered to be a preacher, I did not volunteer. I did not. God called me because one thing and one thing only, hell is real. That's it. And I want to keep as many people from going to hell as possible. Amen. I think, you know, there's a, there's a couple of things in there that I think are really interesting. One, you mentioned at that, at that certain point when you were, when God had said, Hey, uh, at that time, it was like, hey, look, I want you to be a preacher. And you were kind of running from God. You said, hey, I didn't have the fear of God. I had the fear of mom. Yeah. I think that just shows how important parents are. Oh, you know, if we important. if we have good parents and leadership, um, you know, even if a, ki a child is wandering off from God, at least if they have godly parents that are trying to push them in the right direction, they'll be somewhat, you know, closer than where they would be if they had no godly parents, which yes, I think sir. is, is really important. And then sure. the other thing I think is, uh, I think it reminded me of Moses when you said, uh, Lord, I can't speak. I'm going to need you except Moses. Uh, I guess Moses kind of had a very similar thing to what you had as he said, Lord, I can't do it. Look, this is the reason why I can't do it. I need, <laughs> you know, <laughs> yeah. finally he, he used him. But, you know, in your case, I think you've, you've, um, the idea is God just needs a preacher. God needs someone to do it. And it doesn't necessarily need to be a perfect person. There is no perfect person, but he wants people who are willing to surrender, who are willing yeah. to do it. Amen. And that's, that's the important part. And so, you know, with that, obviously, you know, when you went to Bible college and you came out, um, did you, did you start your church right after you graduated Bible college? So I, I went to a college in Wisconsin for a year, and then I transferred to Hiles Anderson College, Crown Point, Indiana, and I graduated in three years, and it was now 1991, but I was not, I wasn't married yet, so I stuck okay. around, and I found a girl that I fell in love with, and I asked her to marry me, and the following year, when uh, school let out, the very first weekend, we got married. So now it's 1992. My wife, it was her second year in college. And so she had not graduated yet. And she looked at me and said, honey, um, I really would like to graduate from college. Nobody in my family has ever gone to college and graduated. I'll be the first one. Would it be all right with you if we stuck around for two years until I graduated? And of course, Brother Hiles always taught when you first get married, don't ever move. Don't make any major changes for two years. Just learn to be married. 
learn each other, know each other, get, get familiar with each other, what it's like to be married. And then after about two years, then make a major change. And so I said, hey, that sounds good to me. So I worked a full-time job and my wife was in college. She graduated in May of 1994. And then in August, or actually the first week of September of 1994, we moved out to Colorado and we started our church. Are you still there? Yeah, sorry about that. Oh, there you go. Okay. So from the get-go, you know, one of the things that I think a lot of people um, who are familiar with Hiles Anderson and Jack Hiles, uh, I actually this is a little bit off topic, but not really. You'll see where I'm okay. going with this is, is about, I'd say back in, back in June, I was, uh, for work, I was going to Charleston, South Carolina, and I was calling around to different churches in South Carolina. I didn't know any churches there. So, um, I wasn't familiar. My pastor didn't know any, but any pastors in Charleston. So, uh, or any churches. So I said, all right, well, I'm just going to go through. I looked up uh, Baptist independent Baptist churches in Charleston, South Carolina. I started calling them one by one and I would ask them questions and I'd say, you know, all right, what, what style service do you have? What Bible do you use? And do you go soul winning? And anyway, I called a bunch of churches and I got a lot of, uh, you know, just wrong answers, I guess, from what I was looking for. And the, there was a church that I called that I said, you know, okay, so traditional, use the King James. Do you have any uh, soul winning programs? And he asked me, he said, do you mean like the Jack Hiles style uh, evangelism? Uh, no, we don't do that. And I'm like, <laughs> he said, no, we don't do that. We do, we do, uh, what did he say? He said, we do a welcome wagon ministry. Um, and I, I had the same, I was sitting there on the phone. I was like, what do you mean a welcome wagon ministry? And, <laughs> It's like you have a basket and you go give it to and you give it to people who've recently moved into the area and you hope that I guess through that they come and visit your church. Huh. Well, anyway, so needless to say, I didn't end up going there, but I think it's interesting when people think soul winning. A lot of people think Jack House, but Jack House wasn't the one who invented that. No, he there was. were a lot of people who were doing it before him. But I think in today's day and age, there's a lot of people who look to him and they say, well, he was the he was the one who. Um, maybe brought maybe brought a revival of it, maybe. But even then, I would say there were still a lot of churches soul winning. Of course, there were. There, there were a lot of uh, contemporaries of Jack Hiles that were all on the same page. the The difference is Jack Hiles had the biggest voice. He had the mm -hmm. biggest church. I mean, he, his when he passed away, his church was running twenty thousand. I mean, there was Lee Robertson, Tom Malone. Uh, before Jack Hiles was J. Frank Norris. I mean, he was a great soul winner. There was, um, you know, Lester Roloff. There was uh, Beecham Vick. Um, you know, there was just all kinds of preachers in, you know, Brother Hiles' era. They were all soul winners. But uh, again, he just simply had the biggest platform, the biggest voice. And so a lot of people, you know, they refer to it. Now, I'm fully aware about how Jack Hiles is a lightning rod. I mean, I'm just fully aware of it. You know, he passed away in February of 2001, and here it is, 2023, and people are still fighting over him. Some people love him. Some people hate him. You know, my, my biggest thing is, you know, I, I truly do live for Jesus, and Jesus is my everything. But, you know, the Bible says, give honor to whom honor is due, and Jack Hiles changed my life. I mean, I, I am the preacher I am today, and I do um, go soul winning in large part 
because of the influence of Jack Hiles on my life. And no, you know, he's not perfect and no preacher's perfect. Good grief, I'm not perfect, right? But man, Brother Hiles made an impact for the cause of Christ, really unlike maybe any other preacher has in our generation, in our day and age, or at least in my generation, you know. And, you know, again, I didn't agree with him on everything, but whatever I disagreed with him on, it, it wasn't enough for me to like, not believe in him as a genuine man of God, you know. So, but at any rate, I understand what you're talking about. We don't do the soul wedding like Jack Hiles did, whatever, you know. Yeah. <laughs> so, but I think it's funny because you graduate from Hiles Anderson, yeah. and after you know you stay there for two years, you get a job, and you start a church. I would assume from I've had I've I know multiple people from different colleges, and and you know what I think is interesting is when I look at the people. I've thought about this a few times. I I almost feel like sometimes people will dis discredit, you know, a podcast like this because I've interviewed I guess now out of. I guess, you know, however many people I've had three Hiles Anderson graduates and I don't mean other smaller colleges, but none from like a Pensacola. Or any, and I feel like some people would say, well, you know, you have a bias. Well, I think what it is, and I could be wrong. I, I'd be interested to hear what you have to say. Hiles Anderson almost has this feel of evangelism is a big deal. Soul winning is a big deal. At least Hiles had that. That was one of his main focuses was soul winning from what I understand. And I don't know if that's the same thing in a lot of other, and I could be wrong. I don't have the experience you do, but why do you think it is that, um, you know, when you have different people from different colleges, yeah. um, I feel, I just feel, I, I could be wrong about that, but. Well, no, you're not. So let me give you some thoughts. Okay. Brother Howes preached and a lot of, a lot of my philosophy and ministry, I learned from Brother Howes, right? So I'm just giving him the credit for teaching. Sure. sure. I, I'm a follower of Jesus. I love the Lord. You know, I, I don't follow man when man goes away from Jesus, right? You know, Paul said, follow me as I follow Christ. So as yeah. long as a preacher's following Christ, I can learn from him, right? If he starts to drift from Christ, then I'm not going to drift with him. So sure. all I'm saying is I learned a lot of philosophy of ministry from Jack Hiles, okay? And so Jack Hiles literally taught this. He preached a sermon one Sunday night, don't mess with the fruit trees, and a fruit tree, the Bible says in Proverbs eleven thirty, the fruit of the righteous is a tree of life. He that winneth souls is wise, all right? So every soul winning church, every soul winning college in the world, Brother Hiles taught us before them. Don't ever want them to quit. Don't ever criticize them. Don't ever try to cause them harm. Every single preacher, church, and college that is a soul winning preacher, church, or college they are good for the cause of Christ. Yeah. But Brother Heil said, we're going to be on the front lines. We're going to be the Green Beret. We're going to be the Navy SEAL. We are going to be known for soul winning. And that's what we're going to live for. So all these other colleges, they go soul winning or they lead people to Christ or they preach soul winning. They participate in it. And that's fine. I, I, I don't want any of these colleges, and I'm not going to start naming them all, but I don't sure, want yeah. any of them to fail because they do reach people for the cause of Christ. The difference is Hiles Anderson was on the front lines for soul winning. Okay. Sure. Um, I remember my grandpa, here's what my grandpa said to me. Ready? He said this, when I went to Hiles Anderson, he goes, well, some people, if they, if they want to be a missionary, they should go to Maranatha Baptist Bible College. 
If they want to be a teacher, they should go to Pensacola Christian University or college. If they want to be a soul winner, they should go to Hiles Anderson College. And he looked at me and he said, I can tell, son, he used to call me son, you know, you're a soul winner. So you need to go to Hiles Anderson College. I mean, this is back in 1987, 88, right? I mean, way back then, I mean, that's just, you know, every college has a flair or something that they're really- Something that sets them apart, yeah. Sets them apart. Do we need teachers in Christian schools? Yes, so praise God for Pensacola. Do we need, you know, missionaries? Yes, praise God for Maranatha. Do we need soul winners? Yes, praise God for, you know- Hiles yeah. Anderson College, you know, you can sure. go down the line, you know, there was, you know, and I'm talking about back in the 80s, okay, there was sure. Tennessee Temple University with, with Lee Robertson, there was Bob Jones University, you know, in South Carolina, you know, there was um, all kinds of colleges that a person could have chosen to go through, and and then since then, you know, there's, you know, I told you I wasn't going to name whatever, uh, Golden State Baptist College in Santa Clara, West Coast Baptist College, and, you know, um, Lancaster, California, there's um, um, in Kentucky, uh, um, Jeff Puget's College, uh, Commonwealth Baptist College. I mean, there's all kinds of colleges that a person can go to. And listen, I'm for all of them. I want them all to exist. I want them all to thrive. I want them all to train Christians for the work of the Lord. But I went to House Anderson College because I believed hell was real. I mean, I really do believe hell is real. And I want to keep as many people getting, you know, <laughs> keep as many people from going to hell as absolutely possible. And I knew that was the heartbeat of Jack Hiles. And that was the heartbeat of Hiles Anderson College. And so, yeah, they have that reputation. And so you're not wrong with thinking that. But again, Brother Hiles never taught us since nobody else is on the front line. Wish them all bad. You know, like we don't need a No, no. He said we need everybody. Everybody that's a soul winner, even if they see one person saved a year, we need them. Yeah. We were we were just going to be trained to be on the front line. Navy sure. skill, Green Beret, you know, soul winners. Yeah. And and by the way, I don't want anybody to take, you know, that comment as saying I favor people from Hiles Anderson. I just think it's interesting when I look for when I when I have people that I follow that I'm really interested in because it's it's not a it's not a complete rule right I've had a of course of I've course. had I've had a, a guy that went to a local college uh, a pastor in uh, that went to a local college in North Carolina I had one that went to a college uh, I can't remember the name right now but in Central Florida um, and so there are different people that have gone to different colleges and you know there are people in those colleges who end up being great soul winners, you know, that's an example. Of course. And so it's more of a general rule, but I just thought it was interesting. And I kind of wanted to, it was just something that popped into my head, but you know, as we were, as, as I think about your ministry and one of the things that you focused on was soul winning, I haven't been saved for very long, but I will say, um, you're probably one of the most, uh, gung-ho soul winners that I know. And I think it's very cool because you, you even have a book from 1998. And I actually, I wanted to to share that here just in case anybody um, would be interested in this. But there is a, you have a book over here, or is it, let me see if I have this right here. Let me move that out. It's right over here at an Amazon. It's How to Win a Soul for Christ. Um, I, and I think this, you know, that's not the picture of the cover. And so, no, it's not. This is the, uh, I guess, generic 
Amazon version. I think you, ha- it's like, I want to, I wonder if I could find a better version you of it somewhere. Find it. That, you know, I've got a picture of it, but I don't, I don't know if I know. I'm sorry. I'm technologically challenged and I'm see. not sure if I can I might have it on your Facebook. Here oh, there it go. is right there. there this is it. Yeah. So how to win a soul for Christ. And so, like I was saying, I think it's interesting, you know, this was the, this was the heartbeat of your, this still is the heartbeat of your ministry. Is soul Absolutely, 100%. Um, and you have uh, a book that you wrote about it, which also uh, Dr. Jack Hiles wrote the foreword to. It was a, it was an honor that he did that. For me. Really and was. so you have this. And, and so I, I guess, you know, as, as we go through and you're a very passionate soul winner and you can see that, like, even as you go through, um, some of this stuff, you know, if I encourage anybody to go follow his page, uh, follow him, keep up with him and his church, he posts a lot of these snippets, which I think are, it's really cool. You just go by, you know, as I'm going through in a day, I'll scroll through Facebook and I'll see the soul winner and it'll have just some tips for soul winning. Um, and you can never learn too much. You can never Amen. be at the point when you know soul winning, like, yeah, I, I can. And so for anybody who who goes soul winning, this is a he 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 has some great stuff here that uh you could tell is is very is very experienced with it, um and then he also click? has oh I'm sorry what was that go ahead I was just like can you click on that one that you were just this that, one no, either one doesn't matter so okay. that's kind of how it looks like right I have a date and says the soul winner and then I have just a thought you know a tips on how to win souls whatever. Right. Sure. And I do that either once or twice a week is what I do. Okay. So yeah, you have that. And then he also has uh, a page called just the soul winner. Yes. sir. And this is really cool too, because I think this really puts a face to it. So, you know, you could say, you know, I went out soul winning and I saw so-and-so get saved. Um, And for me, sometimes I try to get a picture, but sometimes I just, I just don't, I, I, sometimes I feel awkward with it. So I just, I just leave it. And, can, but can what you, I, I, can you X that out right there? Uh, that little chat thing. Yeah. Oh, there, thank you. Perfect. Right. There you go. Thank you. So you can see right here. This is a, as you, a teenage girl that I led to the Lord yesterday. Here's a man that I led to the Lord at his job site. And each of another these, ho- a, a home, not really homeless man, but he was sitting at a bus stop waiting to get a bus to go to another town. And each of these, because each of these are are very special and unique. Amen. Each of them have their own story, and each of them, praise God, are now going to heaven. Amen. And so, Amen. it is. It's really cool. I encourage anybody to follow follow his two pages here because this will, it, for me, it's encouraging. I'm scrolling through Facebook, and sometimes there's a lot of negativity and sure. uh, you know Christians fighting with each other. This person's bad. This person, blah blah blah. But then you come to something like this, and it's like. This is the good part of Facebook, right? This is, okay, this is where we could be. So I'd like to ask you, you know, could you tell us a little bit more about your, your soul winning ministry? So like, what does it look like? Um, How often do you do it? Where do you do it? Do you ever, uh, how many people in your church go out? Just like overall, what, what does your soul winning ministry look like at your church? Well, so there's a lot to say. So I'll, I'll try my best not to be too lengthy, but when I became um, surrendered to be a preacher, I, I became a soul winner. And in 1987, uh, July of 1987, I led my first soul to Christ by myself. And I was hooked. I mean, I was hooked. It was the greatest feeling I ever had in the world. And I just wanted to live the rest of my life soul winning. And so I went off to Bible college. And, and for all the time I was in Bible college, I was a 
weekly soul winner. I would go soul winning at least once a week, but most of the time, two or three times a week. Then I became a pastor in 1994. And again, I was a weekly soul winner. I'd go maybe three or four times a week. I would go soul winning. Well, my ministry wasn't really growing like I wanted it to. And, and, and things were a little challenging, you know, and they still are. I mean, 29 years into it, my church is not anything as far as size, like I envisioned when I first started my church. And, and people criticize me for it, and that's fine. I, I really don't, I don't need anybody's approval. I really don't. Um, here's the thing. When you become an aggressive soul winner, you become number one on the devil's hit list. That, it, there's just no other way to look at it. And the devil fights our church and churches like us more than any other church or church, churches, right? And, um, and so he fights hard. I mean, he just fights hard. Um, our church right now is averaging 104 this year on Sunday morning. And we probably have 20 to 30 soul winners of the 104. Now that 104 is That's not a good ratio compared to many churches. Yeah, it's not 104 adults. It's 104 nursery, you know, beginner, junior, teenagers, and adults. Sure. So we probably have 20 to 30 on a regular basis that participate in our soul winning ministry. And so, but, uh, so what happened was in, in uh, 2001, I, I went to a leadership conference in Lancaster, California, uh, Paul Chapel and, and his ministry there. And David Gibbs, attorney David Gibbs was preaching a message entitled, get out of the boat. And it was from that passage of Peter walking on water. And he taught uh, many illustrations during that sermon. But one of them was he had a preacher friend down in Florida, who had been soul winning every day for like 11 years. And every single day, he had seen somebody saved. His name is Glendy Hamilton. He's a black preacher, pastoring, I think, a black church down in Florida. It, I could be wrong on that. But the point is, he was friends with, with Dr. Gibbs. And Dr. Gibbs told the story about how he was telling him how he went soul winning every day. And he said, no, you don't go every day. He goes, every single day. He goes, every single day you've seen someone say for, it was either seven or 11 years. He goes, every single day. He's like, no, there's no way. He goes, man, he said, come with me, right? So they're driving through the night from Florida going to another state. And it's like 2.30 in the morning. They pull over at a, one of those big gas marts, you know, and they had to fill up with gas. And they went inside to, get some, you know, candy bars, soda, whatever, to stay awake. And, and so Dr. Gibbs and Glendy Hamilton, they go into the, this gas station. And next thing you know, it, three people are on their knees getting saved at 2.30 in the morning in this big lit up gas station. I mean, just the most amazing thing. And of course, Brother Gibbs went into great detail how that happened. So I won't do that now. They get back in the car and Brother Gibbs was like, wow, that was something else. And Glendy Hamilton looked at Brother Gibbs and said, you could do this. You could do it. Mm -hmm. And when Brother Gibbs told that story, I felt the Holy Spirit of God say, you can do this. You can do mm -hmm. this. I'm like, no way. Come on, man. That's impossible. I mean, what if I get sick? What if I'm on vacation? What if I'm traveling in the airport? What if this, 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 this? you know, what in the world, you know? But I remember God spoke to my heart. Well, I went and bought the CD from that, that service. And I took it home with me. And I must have listened to that sermon about 15 or 20 times over the process of the next five years. Well, now life is really, really, really challenging. And I'm going through a low point in the ministry. And, and I just needed something from God. And I'm going to pastor school in Hammond, Indiana, March of 2006. 
and I and I and I go to pastor school and I say, God, whatever you tell me to do, whatever you tell me to do, I promise you I'm gonna do it. I am desperate. I'm not gonna say no. You tell me what I need to change or start doing in my church, and I'm doing it. So I go to pastor school. You know, this is when um Brother Howes had already passed away in 2001. So the next pastor was now the pastor. But it was uh, March of 2006. So the Monday night, preaching service, God didn't speak to me. Tuesday morning, Tuesday afternoon sessions, nothing. Tuesday night, nothing. Wednesday morning, Wednesday afternoon, nothing. Wednesday night, the preacher introduced the guest speaker, and it was David Gibbs. And I, and I love David Gibbs. I love to hear him preach. So anyway, he stood up to preach, and he gave the title of his message, Get Out of the Boat. And he read the passage about Peter walking on the water. And right then, just like that, the Holy Spirit spoke to me and said, I want you to be a daily soul winner. I knew that sermon by heart. I listened to it 15, 20 times over the last five years. He didn't have to preach. He didn't have to do anything. I was ready to walk the aisle right then to surrender myself to be a Dead, a daily soul winner. Well, he did preach and he did give an invitation. I walked down to the front. I was in the balcony at that time. So I walked down to the front of the balcony and I got on my knees and I said, God, I don't understand how I could possibly do this, but I am asking you, help me to get, see someone saved every day for the rest of my life. And I promise you, I'll go soul winning. You know, and I, I asked, I like Peter asked, walk on water. You know why Peter walked on water and the other disciples didn't? It's because he asked. That's it. He asked. And so I asked God for a miracle in my life. And so I, I came back home and it was March 25th, 2006. It was the first day on this journey. And I remember sitting on the side of the road, parked my car. And I said, Lord, this is the first day. I said, if you would let me, I would like to see someone saved every day the rest of my life. And I, I said, let's get started, you know? And I led my first soul to the Lord 17 and a half years now later. Every single day of my life that I've gone soul winning, I've seen someone saved or I've seen them pray with me about their salvation. Sometimes people say, did they all meant it? Did they all mean it? Probably not. Just like all of your converts didn't mean it either. You know, there's probably a percentage of them that didn't mean it. And that's between them and God. My responsibility is to present the gospel clearly and then give them an opportunity to make a decision for Christ. And if they say, yes, they want to be saved, then I pray with them and, 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 and lead them in a salvation prayer. So um, 17 and a half years, I've never missed a day that I've gone out. Now, I do want to have a little bit of a disclaimer. There's about 45 days that I've not gone soul winning in those 17 and a half years. I'll tell you why. I had COVID twice. And when I got COVID, and I had pneumonia once. All three of three of those weeks or whatever, four weeks altogether that I got COVID and pneumonia, I lost my voice. Mm. So I stayed at home. I couldn't even talk to anybody on the phone. I mean, it literally hurt to try to talk. So I didn't go soloing. Then uh, a few years ago, I broke a leg. And when I broke my leg, there were times I couldn't leave my house or I just couldn't. Yeah. So there's a disclaimer. It's about 45 total days of the 17 and a half years that I did not go solely. And it was 100% health related. 100%. Every other day. Now think of it. What is um what is 17 17 years? How many days is that? 
Let me let me uh, pull up a calculator. I mean, roughly. I'm going to say it's a lot. Well, <laughs> six thousand two hundred and five plus leap years plus a half of a you know year, so sixty five hundred days in seventeen and a half years, approximately sixty five hundred days. Forty five days, I did not go soul winning because of my health, hmm. but every single day that I did go soul winning, it has never failed. I've been able to pray with at least one person about their salvation. One day it went to like 1145 at night. And I finally got to pray with someone. That's that what I was going to, I was going to ask you, um, how, cause so I have a couple of questions, you know? Okay. So I'm going to ask you this. I don't mean it in the way that it's going to come across. Ask I'm going to ask it. I'm going to ask it to you in the way that I've had people ask it to me. Okay. Do you do ABC repeat after me? Oh, absolutely not. In fact, I'm insulted by people who do that. Yeah. I'm insulted. And to, like you said, it's like, okay, so I, and I, I have to, I give them, I give them grace in this regard. I think they mean well, they don't want people to be making false professions. I understand that. Yeah. But to me, it's like, you know, when I lead someone, when I've, I've had the opportunity to lead someone to the Lord and I get, so I get excited every time. And, yeah. you know, I, sometimes I'm almost tempted to not get as excited from the, because of those people, you know? And it's yeah. like, because they're like, they do the whole, oh, well, did they, you know, is it just, do you do just ABC repeat after me? And I tell them, okay. So the first person that I had asked me that I went through this, these are the verses that I use. And I named probably 10, 15 verses. And, you know, it was just one of those things to me. I almost felt the need to defend myself. I should, I don't need to defend myself, no, you don't. but, but I felt the need to. And so I did, but you know, when you think about that and you think about in your case, you go out every day for 17 and a half years. I, the other question I had was how long do you have to go out? I mean, some days I assume it's a long time in order to well, see that. So thank you for asking that. So first of all, I want to say, of course, I'm insulted by anybody who goes one, two, three, repeat after me. That's not what God wants us to do. Okay. No. I, I am very, very, very um, expressive of this in my church that I want people to thoroughly give the gospel. And there's basically four points the Romans wrote. You have to be thorough. They have to understand it. Now, people that say, oh, you just one, two, three, repeat after me. 99.9% .9 of those people are not soul winners. That's just who they are. Because a true soul winner understands people can get saved. They really can. Okay. So, um, and so here's what I want to let you know. I believe, okay, here's the thing. You ever hear someone go soul winning? They say, Lord willing, we're going to see someone saved today, right? Yeah, I've seen that. That's ridiculous. That's ridiculous. The Lord is always willing to see people saved. He's not the issue. That's a good point. Also, great point. So here's the thing. The Lord is willing. Now, the question is, are you willing? If you're willing to see someone saved, ready for this? All you then need is a lost sinner who's willing to get saved. Hmm. So here's how it works. The Lord's willing. You never have to ask. Is If the Lord's willing, we'll see someone saved today. Just if, if You're setting yourself up for failure. It's an excuse why you didn't see anybody saved. Lord's always willing. Okay. But here's the thing. Do you believe that there's somebody within reach of you today, someone within walking distance, driving distance, whatever, on the phone, whatever. Is there someone within reach that you believe with all your heart really does want to be saved? 
Do you believe there's someone around that wants to be saved? 100%. All right. Do you think the Holy Spirit knows where they're at? Of course he does, right? Yeah. So here's what you need to do. You need to pray a prayer. This is what I pray every day for 17 and a half years, every day of my life. Holy Spirit, I yield myself to you. Please help me to cross the path of someone who wants to be saved and help me to lead them to you. I pray that prayer every day of my life. And I pray it sometimes more than once, maybe three or four, five, six, seven, ten times during the day. Holy Spirit, I yield myself to you. Help me to cross the path of someone who wants to be saved and help me to lead them to you. I believe with all my heart God wants people saved. I believe with all my heart there are people who want to be saved. And it's just my job to be willing to go and yield to the Holy Spirit. Every single day I have not failed in 17 and a half years to cross the path of someone who wants to be saved. And now I need the Holy Spirit to give me the words, to give me the power, to help me to lead them to Christ. And, and, and it's just never failed. All this soul winning is not complicated. Here's the thing. You don't want to go one, two, three, repeat after me. That's just bogus. That's not legitimate. But there is a way to legitimately find people who want to be saved and then present the gospel thoroughly and then ask them if, you know, if Jesus is willing to save you, would you be willing to ask him to? Do you want to be saved? And if they say yes, then say, okay, I'm going to pray with you. And I'm going to give you an opportunity to pray right now and receive Christ as your savior. I'll give you. Now, some people criticize the salvation prayer. Listen to me very carefully. Man, I, look, I've got, I've got hours and hours and hours I can talk, and I know you don't have that. But, but here's the, I just want to say this. Don't ever let anybody criticize you for having a salvation prayer. Uh, they call it a sinner's prayer. I call it a prayer of salvation. Now, there are, did you know that there are three prayers in the Bible, in the New Testament, that are salvation prayers? Did you know that? No. Recorded. Here's what they are. Okay. The sinner said, Lord, be merciful to me, a sinner. Right? The mm. Bible says he went home justified. Listen to me. That is a prayer. Lord, be merciful to me, a sinner. Peter was walking on water, and as he began to sink, he said, Lord, save me. Now, that's a salvation prayer. What was he asking the Lord to save him from? From drowning. That's what it was. Okay, we're, we're headed for the lake of fire, right? The principle is, do you want the Lord to save you? Yes or no? You need to ask him to. Then the thief on the cross, salvation prayer. He said, Lord, remember me when thou comest into thy kingdom. What was he saying? He was saying, Lord, take me with you to heaven. Jesus looked at him and said, today shalt thou be with me in paradise. So you've got those three salvation prayers. You ready? Lord, be merciful to me, a sinner. Save me and take me to heaven. When I lead someone in a prayer of salvation, I include all three of those things. Lord, I know I'm a sinner. Lord, I, you know, I, I need and I need you to go to heaven. Would you please save me and take me to heaven one day? All three of them. Now, That's I believe idea. It's, that, it's that simple, but it's that important. Now, I don't add anything else. I don't say, Jesus, come into my heart. Forgive me of my sins. I, did, I give my life to you. None of those things. It is, I know I'm a sinner. Please save me and take me to heaven. That's the gist of my salvation prayer. Now, listen carefully. Everybody who has ever been saved, and I mean this with all my heart, people can disagree with me. You, that's your choice. But Everybody in the Bible who's ever been saved has been saved by calling upon the name of the Lord. Do you know when calling upon the name of the Lord first began? 
when is that when Abraham before before was it Adam it was before. no 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 not before Adam okay here's here's what here's what it is right Genesis chapter one God creates the universe Genesis mm -hmm. chapter two God creates man Genesis chapter three man falls into sin Genesis chapter mm -hmm. four God introduces salvation the very mm -hmm. I, the very last man verse fell. what was that no, you're good. I was just saying, because man fell at that point. Yep. yep. So Genesis chapter four, do you know what the very last verse of Genesis chapter four is? You don't look I'm it up? almost there. No, I All can't. Right. Sure. Tell me when you get there. That would Genesis. be verse 26. Yep. Let me read it to you. And to Seth, to him also, there was born a son and he called his name Enos. Then began men to call upon mm. the name of the Lord. That's when it began. Okay right there from right. people say people got saved in the old testament by keeping the law people got saved in the you know gospels by john the baptist getting baptized people get saved during the church age by grace people get saved in the you know, that's just retarded ridiculous it's it's <laughs> idiotic it's of the devil everybody who has ever been saved has gotten saved by calling upon the name of the lord now here's the thing people say a prayer doesn't save you of course a prayer doesn't save you i understand that jesus saves you but here's what god says right? You need to put your faith and trust in Jesus to get to heaven, right? So how do you do that? By calling upon the name of the Lord. That's how you do it. If you did a study on that phrase, calling upon the name of the Lord, and I did this, you see how many times in the Old Testament, how many times in the Gospels, how many times in the New Testament, how many times all throughout the Bible it's mentioned. It's everywhere, everywhere in the Bible. You get saved by grace through faith. How do you put your trust in Christ to save you? You call upon the name of the Lord. I went to uh, my first year Bible college. I'm not going to talk bad about a Bible college, but I will tell you this. The personal evangelism class used a book. It was entitled, What Happened to the Word Believe? And what that personal evangelism class taught was, you get the person to believe in Jesus and that's it. You stop. That's what they said. No call. So I had my, uh, mm. yeah, I had my, uh, um, I was just, I was a freshman. There was a senior in my dorm room. I said, you tell me how you win people to Christ. Here's what he said. I showed them in the Bible that they're a sinner. I showed them in the Bible the penalty for sin is death and hell. I showed them in the Bible that Jesus died on the cross to pay for their sins and that only Jesus will get you to heaven. And then I say, do you believe that? And he said, if they say yes, I say you're saved. All you need to do is believe. That's ridiculous. Man, I've done so many studies in the Bible. I mean, I've done years and years and years and years and years of study. Look at John. Can you hold on for just one second? I yeah. I got to turn yeah. the light on. I got to turn the light on. Okay. Yeah, you're fine. There we go. It started getting dark. And now, now it's like, okay, so now you're just going to have to put up with this shiny head of mine. So anyway, I'm sorry about that. <laughs> we already know you have hair though, so it's okay. But the window, the, the sun's starting to go down. And I just, you can't see much sunlight. But anyway, yeah, here's the thing. John chapter one, verse 12. Ready? But as many as received him, to them gave he power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on his name. Mm -hmm. There are two uh, verbs in that verse. It's very, very important. Received him. Believe on his name, right? Those are two different things. You cannot get saved unless you believe. 
But believing alone, just believing in Jesus doesn't make you saved. You have to receive him as your savior. The Bible way to do that is for whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Yeah. All, all these people that criticize a prayer of salvation, they just don't understand the Bible. Yeah. They just don't understand the Bible. You yeah. have to receive Christ as your savior. There has to be a day of salvation. You must be born again. Second Corinthians 6, 2 says, behold, now is the accepted time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. What happens when a person gets saved? They believe upon Jesus that he died on the cross to pay for their sins. And they place their faith and trust in him to get to heaven by calling upon the name of the Lord. It's that simple. When, yeah. I pray, when I prayed to Jesus on June 15, 1980, I believed in him. I was putting my faith in him and I called upon him and I asked him to save me from going to hell. Now, the problem is people in the salvation prayer, sinner's prayer, whatever you want to call it, they've diluted it. They've added other things. I never say, would you like to be saved? Okay, ask Jesus to come into your heart. There's no prayer in the Bible that anybody ever prayed and said, Jesus, come into my heart. And I don't even tell people to say, ask God to forgive you of, of your sins. Why? Because the Bible says we're supposed to ask God to forgive us of our sins every day of our lives. Mm -hmm. Every time we sin, it says, if we confess our sins, those of us who are already saved, if First John 1, 9, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us and to cleanse us of all unrighteousness. Now, listen carefully. Forgiveness of sins is not the same thing as salvation. Forgiveness of sins is about relationship. Every day I sin, every day I'm supposed to ask God to forgive me of my sins. I'm not getting saved every day. The prayer of salvation is simply saying, Lord, I admit to you, I am a sinner and I'm headed for hell. Would you save me from going to hell? And would you take me to heaven one day? That's as simple as it gets, but that is completely biblical. And so when I pray with people, no, I do not do a, B, C, repeat after me, or one, two, three, repeat after me. I thoroughly explain the gospel, make sure they clearly understand it. If they say they believe it, I ask them, would you like, would you be willing to ask Jesus to save you if he's willing to save you? If they say yes, then I don't leave them hanging. I say, well, I'm going to pray with you right now. I'm going to ask God to bless you. In the middle of my prayer, I'm going to give you an opportunity to pray and ask Jesus to save you, just like I did on June 15, 1980. And I'm going to give you a prayer to pray. Now, I want you to pray it, but here's how it works. It's got to come from your heart. And I tell them, if you don't mean it, if you don't believe it, it does, you're not getting saved. But if you call upon Jesus and you ask him to save you, and it comes from your heart, he will always say, yes, you are saved. Can I pray with you? Yes. Okay, let's pray. And that's kind of how it goes. That's how I do it. And I think it's I think it's interesting too. You know, um, I know we've had a we've had a long discussion, and I'm loving this. By the way, I think this is awesome. There's so many notes I have here. Um, when you talk about soul winning, uh, you could just tell the enthusiasm that comes when you talk about soul winning. Amen. When you talk Thank about, you. I believe um, in it. I'm passionate about it. And, you know, I got to tell you, I think one of the coolest things that you've uh, you've talked about so far is, you know, there's a lot that we could unpack with what you just said. And so uh, for sake of time, I'm not going to. But, man, tell you what, if if anybody likes this, go follow his stuff. He has some this is very typical. And so uh, I'm enjoying this. This is this is awesome. I do have one more question for you. Um 
And then I want to kind of close this out here, give any closing thoughts. But I want to ask you, with the enthusiasm that that you have and the calling that all I, I, I'm going to give away the, the question here. Why do you do you believe that soul winning is for everybody or is it just for certain people? OK, thank you for asking that. That's a good question. There is nothing in the Bible that says soul winning is a gift. There's nothing in the Bible. There are five times, five in the places in the scripture. Most people don't know it. They think there's four, but there's actually five. In uh, Matthew 28, Mark 16, Luke, I believe it's 24. And in John chapter 21 uh, or chapter 20, one or the other. And then Acts chapter one, there's what is called the Great Commission. And God gives us marching orders. And he said, go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. I hate it when people change the word of God to. Okay, in Matthew 28, it says, teach all nations. I've had people say, no, that means all nationalities. <laughs> Come on, man, all nations. That means every nation on this planet we're supposed to get the gospel to them. Not every nationality, every creature, every nation. Now, it can't happen with just preachers. That commission was given to the church not to preachers. And so the Great Commission is for every single believer. Every single Christian is supposed to be a soul winner. Now, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to say something to you that unless you've heard this before, this, this may blow your mind or be something to you. Okay. Why do we not go soul winning as Christians? I believe it's because we truly do not believe hell is real. That's why. Or... Wow. We don't believe what hell is. So here's my statement. God will never do this. But if it could happen, here's what I say. If every Christian, if God were to allow every single Christian on this planet to spend 60 seconds in hell, every single one of us would become passionate soul winners. Every single one of us. The reason we don't go soul winning is because we don't truly believe that hell is real or we don't truly believe what hell is. And that, I believe with all my heart that that's why I'm a soul winner because hell's real and I'm consumed by it. I'm consumed by it. What good is it to be a Christian and to share the love of God, to be gracious, to you know, portray Christ in the community, amongst your family and friends, neighbors, co-workers, whatever, and never tell them about Christ. They die and go to hell, you go to heaven. Tell me, what kind of friend were you? What kind of family member were you? How, did you really care about him? You're going to heaven. And you, know, you know why you're going to heaven? You're, the only reason you're going to heaven is because someone cared enough about you to tell you how to be saved. There's not one person, I don't think, I don't think, there's not one person who figured out salvation on their own. Let me read you a verse real quick, because I, I know this, I mean, we could talk for hours. You know, maybe we so can have- We another. really could. We should do this again sometime. Well, I'm really enjoying you, this. If you want to do it again, I mean, I'm all for it, whatever you'd like. I mean, this is your podcast. I'm honored to be a part of it. But listen, now listen to this, okay? Now, you may not have ever thought about it like this. Maybe you have, because I know you're a soul winner and you probably think about things like this. But let me read to you Romans 10, 13, 14, and 15. Ready? 
Romans 10, 13, for whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Then in verse 14, God asks three questions. How then shall they call on him in whom they have not believed? The answer is they're not going to do it. If they don't believe, they're not going to call on him. Then the second question, and how shall they believe in him of whom they have not heard? The answer is they won't. They will not believe unless they hear about it. Then the third question, and how shall they hear without a preacher? Now, that word preacher does not mean pastor. The word preacher there means one who proclaims the word of God. Every Christian is supposed to be a preacher. Men, women, children, teenagers, every Christian is supposed to be a preacher. Now, I'm not saying every Christian is supposed to be a pastor. That's different, okay? But how can they hear without a preacher? The answer is they won't. And then it says in verse 15, and how shall they preach except they be sent? Again, they won't. Well, what did God do? Jesus, before he ascended into heaven, he gave us our marching orders, the Great Commission. He is sending us into all the world to preach the gospel to every creature, right? Then it says, as it is written, how beautiful are the feet of them that preach the gospel of peace and bring glad tidings of good things. Okay, so here's the thing. How does a person get saved based on Romans 10, 13? They call upon the name of the Lord. Can someone get saved by calling upon the name of the Lord if they don't believe? The answer is no. How are they going to believe if they don't hear? The answer is they won't. And how are they going to hear without someone telling them? The answer is they won't. So here's what God's word teaches. Ready? God, God's the one that saves people. Clearly, Jesus saves no matter what. What Jesus has chosen to do and what God's word clearly teaches is he wants us to have a part in people getting saved. God can save people any way he wants to, right? But now that we have the Bible complete, people are not going to get saved unless they believe in Jesus. And they're not going to believe in Jesus if they don't hear about Jesus. And they're not going to hear about it unless someone tells them. So my contention or my thought is this. Everybody that's listening to me right now, someone told you how to be saved. That's why you got saved. That's why you believe. Someone told you how. Nobody, there's not one person listening to this podcast that all of a sudden they just figured it out. Maybe it was a gospel track that you read that someone, you know, put the message in it. Maybe it was a sermon at a church and the preacher's preaching the gospel. Maybe a soul winner knocked on your door. You know, someone was involved in you getting saved. Now watch this. Think about this. Ready? If the person who led you to Christ was a soul winner like you are now, would you have ever gotten saved? Think about that. Oof. Well, I'm a soul winner. I'm a soul winner. And I know people out there want to be saved, and they're not going to get saved unless someone tells them how. And the Holy Spirit's involved in all of it. You know, we're not doing this without the Holy Spirit. I mean, you need the power of God. You need the leading of the Holy Spirit. God needs to be working on their hearts. Nobody gets saved unless the Holy Spirit draws them to Christ. I understand all of that. But I'm just going to tell you this right now. Gary Lovins led me to Christ. Don Camp preached the gospel message that I got saved at. My grandparents were praying for years for me to get saved. Those are people that were involved in my salvation, right? Well, there's someone out there that wants to be saved. Who's involved in their, their lives? Like, if you're not going to be a soul winner, how are they going to hear? Mm. 
How are they going to believe? How are they going to call? They won't. So it's our responsibility. It really is our responsibility. Everybody who's saved, every single Christian. Amen. Wow. Man, I tell you what, I was like, I was into that, man. I just, wow. And like you said, I mean, this is, that is a deep calling. And in that passage, believe it or not, I don't, I don't know what significance this has, but when I was preparing, you know, just in case I always have my Bible here in case, you know, we need to flip to a scripture or something. The passage that I had open for our conversation today was Romans chapter 10. Amen. Amen. And it's funny you use that right at the end there. I think that's awesome. This was, this was a great conversation. And I think even just for me reflecting on it, I'm going to go away thinking, what more can I do? Amen. You know, and I think that's, that's kind of the point of our, our Christian lives. We've never arrived. We've never gotten to the point where we are, we are the person who everybody should be like, we, we, we're not the standard. Christ Amen. is the standard. Amen. And, um, I'm, I'm grateful that we have, uh, people that we can, uh, communicate with and that we can, we can hear from, we can learn from, that we can take things from. Uh, so I, I appreciate all of that and, uh, we definitely should do this again. I, I appreciate mean, the opportunity, brother Ricky. I really do. And, um, you know, if you ever want to, you know, so I've got like 15 lessons that I've written so far. I, I travel when everybody asks me to, I mean, I don't travel often, but there's a friend of mine named Pastor Joey Byram in Kent, Washington. Last year, he asked me to come to his church and do a soul winning conference and teach his church people about this. So I did. Next year, I'm going to uh, the mission field to the Dominican Republic. There's a missionary named Biz Lloris, and he asked me to come to his, his church. And he said he's going to get like 20 other pastors from 20 other churches in the Dominican Republic. And we're all going to get together for a week. And he wants me to have a soul winning conference. And so, you know, I've got all these lessons. I got all these truths that God's given to me. And I'm happy to go anywhere, anytime and teach people about soul winning. Um, it's funny. <laughs> Most preachers themselves are not soul winners. So my experience is they either have to discredit me somehow. They got to pick at me and find some fault in, in my life or my church. I had this one preacher on Facebook two years ago. This is a preacher down South. I have never personally met him and he chose to criticize me on Facebook. If he's, if he's seen someone saved every day, why isn't this church running thousands? Why haven't, why hasn't he had three building programs? Why hasn't he started all these other churches? It must not be real. Mm. <laughs> He's just not a soul winner, but I mean, whatever, man. I mean, he sees people sure. say he's not a personal soul. I mean, come on, man. I mean, are we supposed to add a fifth point to the plan of salvation? Admit you're a sinner. Believe you're going to hell. Jesus died for you. Call upon his name and go to church faithfully. Do people have to go to church to be saved? I mean, come no, on, man. Whatever, absolutely man. not. But at any rate, he never knew. I mean, so people are constantly trying to discredit me. There's enough of them. But, or... They're intimidated by me and they don't want me to come preach in their church. Whatever. I mean, I'm not looking to preach. You know what I'm looking to do, Brother Ricky? I'm looking to find someone today that wants to be saved. And I want to help them to get saved, lead them to Christ. If there's a Christian or a preacher that wants me to come and teach it, I'm happy to do it. But 
you know, it's just kind of the way it is. You know, people get intimidated or they try to criticize and discredit it. You know, yeah. whatever. I, I'm not perfect. I've got faults. I, you know, I'm not a sinless Christian, you know, preacher. I'm come on, man. Don't we all have faults? Yeah. I, I'll give you one more thought. Here, one more thought. Man, I'm so sorry if I took too long. I really am. No, you're th- uh, look, I, I mean it when I say this is amazing. I've okay, I've re- me, thoroughly enjoyed this. So let me give you a thought. You ready for this? Here, watch this now. Let's suppose you're a Christian, right? And you're going to fail at something. Here we go. If you fail at your marriage, what's going to happen? You're going to end the divorce. If you fail in your finances, what's going to happen? You may end up bankrupt, right? Homeless, whatever. You can't pay your bills. If you fail as a, as a parent, what happens? Well, you may lose a relationship with your children, right? If you fail in 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 uh, in school, you'll become uneducated. If you fail in many areas of life, right? There's consequences. Ready for this? If you fail at soul winning, someone is going to burn in hell. Plain and simple. I can fail as a husband, and I'll in divorce. Fail as a parent not have a relationship with my children, fell in finances, become bankrupt, fell in, you know, education, whatever. There's all kinds of things you can fail at and you will suffer for it. If you fail at soul winning, somebody else is going to suffer for it. In hell, forever. So I'm just going to tell you, if I'm going to fail at anything in life, I am not going to fail at being a soul winner. Because if I do, someone else suffers for all eternity. And I just can't live with that. Just can't live with that. Something else to think about. (laughs) I'm telling you what, man, this is just, I'm just getting so much. This is feeding me so much. And I think anybody that listens to this, no matter what level we're at, you know, um, like I've said this a couple of times now, we can always improve. We can always get better. Let's say, you know, I know a lot of people, I know a lot of people who go soul winning. I'm thankful that my pastor goes soul winning. Like you said, there's a lot of preachers who don't. I'm thankful that my pastor does. And, you know, I'm thankful I have a lot of friends who do. But even looking at, you know, let's, I'll look inward for a minute. When I, when I leave this conversation, I'm leaving understanding that there's a lot of room that I can grow in my soul winning. Amen. And that's the goal, right? That's yeah. the goal of of me the Christian too, life. Yeah, me too. Is just constantly improving. And so um yeah, I've I've really enjoyed this. I'm gonna get a lot from this. I have a ton of notes here. I have a ton that I'm gonna get from this, but um I know I've t- we've we've taken up uh, a lot of your time too. So I'm appreciative okay. that you've stayed on here and um, you know, I did I didn't want to cut you off because I, I personally I can, like I told you before, I, I schedule more time because I say, hey, look, I if there's something that comes up, but I'm I'm thankful that, you know, you were willing to kind of go off on a couple of things and kind of, you know, maybe off script a little bit, which we not that we have a script anyway. But um, so anyway, with that being said, I, I want to kind of give you an opportunity to give any closing thoughts, anything that maybe. Um, leaving this conversation, what can I take? What can any of us take away from a conversation like this? Well, first of all, don't let the devil lie to you. You can be a soul winner. You can. It's not complicated. 
If you learn, it's more complicated to learn how to drive a car to get a driver's license. It's more complicated to graduate from high school. It's more complicated to graduate from college. I mean, there's so many things in life that are more complicated than being a soul winner. I mean, look at the woman at the well, John chapter four. All she knew was, here's a man who told me all things ever I did. Is not this the Christ? She brought a whole city out to Christ. And she did not go to Bible college. She wasn't a pastor. She, um, you know, she was living in adultery. And the day that she got saved, it does not say in the Bible that she stopped living in adultery. Now, there's an indication maybe she got her heart, her life right. Who knows? But I know this. She did not wait to get her life right with God to become a soul winner. She instantly, upon getting saved, became a soul winner and literally brought a whole city out to Christ. And many of them said, we got saved because of her testimony. Many of them said, we got saved because we heard Jesus ourselves. Whatever the case may be, she was the greatest layman soul winner that is recorded in Scripture. I mean, incredible. So you can be a, you can be a soul winner. All you have to do is be saved. As long as you're saved, you can do it. And then some of you can be daily soul winners. It's, man, I've, I'm walking on water. For 17 and a half years, you know, don't criticize, you know, people are quick to criticize, you know, Peter, oh, look at him, he took his eyes off Jesus, started to sink, right? Criticize, right? Listen, he still holds the world record for water walking for a human being. <laughs> he walked on water. Don't, don't say, man, look at you, what did you sink for? Start to sink for, come on, man, he, you get out of the boat, you walk on water, but you can do it. That story is in the Bible because God wants us to know that we can walk on water too. We have to ask, we have to have faith, we have to keep our eyes on Jesus. Some of you out there, you can become a daily soul winner. You know who you are if God's speaking to you. You know who you are, but you can do it. And then, if I can be a help in any way, shape, or form, I mean, I would love to help. If you're a pastor listening to this podcast and you would like me to come teach your people or preach or in a certain to do anything. I could send you a copy of my book. You could read my book. I mean, all kinds of things. I just want to be a help. And if I can help in any way, of course, I'm, I'm honored. But if not, hey, I'm okay. I'm busy. I'm busy, you know, seeing people saved. And if all I do the rest of my life is, is be a soul winner, I'm happy. I'm just, I'm happy. So, but whatever I can do to help. And Brother Ricky, thank you for allowing me the opportunity to speak on your, your podcast. Hey, thank you for coming on. I really appreciate it. And like I said, um, this is going to be something I'm not going to forget for a long time. And so this is this has been a blessing for me, and I'm sure it has been for other people. Amen. So with that being said, thank you. Thank you once again for hopping on. And anybody who is listening to this podcast right now who, um, if you've got something out of this podcast, trust me, you're not the only one. I'm, like I said, I've been here. I've been writing down stuff. And uh, this has been... Uh, this has been good. I encourage you, if there is something in here that has moved you, that you feel like there is another step you can take, I encourage you to do it. Don't wait. Now, tomorrow's not the day that you start doing it. Pharaoh wanted one more night with the frogs hey, and he never yeah. ended up, he ended, never ended up going back. So, so start now. Um, I know at, if you're not plugged into a soul winning ministry, I encourage you to do that. Um, but I, I encourage you to do whatever the Lord would have you to do. And like he said, whatever the Lord is 
tugged on your heart, if you say, wow, I feel like I really could become a daily soul winner Amen. or I really could be a soul winner. Maybe you're, maybe you're someone who isn't a soul winner right now, or maybe you're someone who, who goes out, but maybe you're not leading anybody to the Lord. I, I think he made a great point. The Lord is always willing. The Lord is not willing that anybody should perish, but that Amen. all should come to repentance. Amen. And so, um, the Lord wants people to get saved and he needs vessels to do that. And so I encourage Amen. you to do that. So with that being said, um, I want to go ahead and encourage you to like this podcast and subscribe if you haven't already and share this with someone who needs it. And if, if it's been a help to you, um, I know it has for me, I'm going to be sharing little snippets of this and I encourage you to share it with other people as well. And so thank you so much for tuning in today. God bless. And I'll see you next time. Amen.